Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we'll begin in verse 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and begin in verse 13. And as I, um, as I read in preparation for this week, I came across in the very introduction to the commentary I was, I was reading, it uh, said that this, uh, it seems like I've come across this more than once in, in Ecclesiastes. But this, this commentary said, this passage may be the most difficult passage to preach in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. So it makes me feel really good right about now. <laughs> We'll get to that, buddy. We'll get to that. Um, the problem, the, the thing that makes it difficulty is here in this passage, it, 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 it's hard to find the glue that puts it all together. It seems, as we read through it, to be kind of disconnected. Like um, a bunch of proverbs put together with not a lot holding them together. Now, I think there, we can find a kind of a unifying theme, but it's, it's, it's difficult to find it, and that's what makes it hard to find this passage. I'm going to have to use wisdom, <laughs> and that's really the point of, of this passage. It's we ought to use wisdom, using wisdom uh, both in political life as nations deal with one another, we have to have wisdom, and as individuals in our personal lives, we have to have wisdom, and we need to have wisdom in our conversation, wisdom when we walk and wisdom when we talk, right? And, and just a little bit of folly can damage a lot. Just, it only takes a little bit of foolishness, and it can destroy the wisdom that came before it. And we'll see that in this text. We'll look at Ecclesiastes 9, beginning in verse 13. We'll read all the way through the end of chapter, of chapter 10. I also have seen this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. 
If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking around on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof caves in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray that you would speak through it. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey. Father, I pray that you would be with me and give me grace and give me strength to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. What possibly could be the hardest chapter to preach in Ecclesiastes. Um, We talked about these three different spheres. Uh, In in the political arena, we need to use wisdom. And in our personal walk, we need to use wisdom. And in our conversation, we need to use wisdom. And we'll begin with the political arena here in, um, in verse 13. And by political, I don't mean... U.S. politics today. I just mean kings and rulers and and things of that nature. I have seen an example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. So Solomon, or the preacher, as he as he reflects on wisdom, he thinks of an example to share to 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 show us um, the principle that he's trying to get across. And this is his example. There was a little city with a few men in it. Okay? It's not very big. Just a few people in it in this in this little city. 
and a great king. Okay, so big king, great king, great massive army comes against it and besieges it. So in besieging it, he's, he's surrounding it so the people can't get out and the people can't, uh, nobody can get in. You might think of, of Jericho whenever the people were walking around Jericho and none could go out and none could go in. Um, they, they had it surrounded so you couldn't bring food in, you couldn't bring water in, anything like that. It was besieged. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And by his wisdom, he delivered the city. You know, what we're not told is how he delivered the city. He doesn't tell us the plan, what they used. Uh, doesn't say, you know, they, they you know, dug a hole under the wall. We might think of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, whenever they, they were besieged and they dug a hole under the, under the wall to get water in. But it does tell us it was wisdom that saved this city. They were a small city, insignificant maybe, and this king was a big king, a great king with massive armies. And yet, the wisdom of just one poor man delivered the whole city. That's the details that it shares with us here. But then it goes on. You would think this is an amazing thing. It's unforgettable. The, the, the idea that, that a, a small city can be delivered by the wisdom of this one poor man. However, it's forgotten. He says, but I say to you, wisdom is better than might. That's the principle that was illustrated. Wisdom of that poor man was better than the might of that great king. But the poor man's wisdom was despised and he was forgotten. His words are no longer heard. So wisdom is necessary. Wisdom is better than strength, he tells us here. It's better to be wise than have power. We might think of Solomon. Solomon, whenever he was first made king after his father David had died, what did he ask for? You know, he, he, he could have asked for money. He could have asked for all these different things, but instead he said, I am just like a child and I need wisdom and understanding heart to know how to lead God's people. Wisdom is greater than strength. Verse 17. Then he says, the words of the, of the wise in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. It illustrates the same principle again. The words of the wise in quiet. Just like this poor wise man, the words of the wise, they're wise and they're in quiet. They're, they're speaking together conversationally maybe. That's better than a ruler... A king who's shouting. I hate to say it, but think about our current political situation where everyone wants to be loud. I'm not even going to point a direction at any, any particular party because we're both guilty. But we want to be loud and we want to get, get be heard. But the wise may be quiet, may be working back behind the scenes and not out in the open 
and yelling and spouting off like a fool. Then verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one, dis- one sinner destroys much good. How can this be? Wisdom is better than weapons of war? You know, if, if you have an enemy coming to attack you, what do you want? How, how would you want to be defended if you have an enemy coming to attack your city? <laughs> well, Josh, uh, the, 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 the logical thing would be we would want weapons of war. We would want to be able to defend ourselves. But here, the preacher tells us wisdom is better than weapons of war. In spite of that, though, he gives a contrast. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And we can also think back to to an earlier time in the Old Testament. We can think of Achan. Um, Yeah, I've got that right. Achan. The people of Israel, with Joshua in the lead, they came to the city of Ai, and they were ready to come and do battle with it, and they they went in and they were defeated. Even though God was on their side, they were defeated, and it came down to where they had to draw lots, and it found that Achan had taken some of the spoils at the previous city. I think it was Jericho. And because of that one man's sin, they were destroyed. That, That illustrates this principle Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. We can have the mightiest defenses, but our sin can stand against us, can stand in our way. Wisdom is essential, and just a little bit of folly can ruin it all. Following along these same lines, we come to the next verse, verse 1 of chapter 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. The perfumer's ointment is something good. Something that, that ought to be something that, that smells good, that has a soothing aroma, yet the dead flies in it ruin what should have been good. Just like a little folly ruins what wisdom had come before it. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. This is probably the favorite verse of us conservatives. (laughs) Politics, today in American politics, the wise man's heart inclines him to the right, and the fool's heart to the left. We want to point to this. Unfortunately, our designations, uh, American politics today, uh, um, they don't go back that far in history. Uh, I, I've heard an explanation before, and I didn't go back to look. Uh, I believe that the, the, the uh, right and left designations actually go back to a time around the 1700s um, where 
there was a, a rebellion going on, and those who wanted to rebel were on the left-hand side of the king and par- parliament, and those who were, tr- who were faithful and wanted to stay were on the right. And that's where our p- current political des- uh, designations come from, of left and right. Those who are more radicals are on the left, and those who are more traditionalists are on the right. Um, but what does this say? A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. There are two opposite ways. There are two opposite ways of looking at life. A wise man will look at life one way, and a fool will look at life another way. They'll completely diverge on different paths, is what he's telling us here. Verse 3, Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone, he's a fool. You can kind of think of the expression, you can see a fool a mile away, right? Even when he walks down the road, you can spot him. You can spot him just walking down the road, he's a fool. Verse 4, If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. Again, this is in the political arena. If you are working for the ruler, the, the, the government, um, the king, if they become angry, don't abandon your post, the preacher is telling us here. Don't leave your place, but instead, stay calm, stay secure, and that calmness, he says, will lay great offense to rest. You can get all worried. You can get all angry too. And that just stirs things up and stirs the pot. But to remain calm lays great offense to rest. Verse 5, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an heir proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. This evil that the preacher is talking about is a political situation that's turned upside down. It's not the way it should be. A a, a ruler makes one error and it flips everything on its head. Those who were supposed to be princes are walking on the ground like servants. And the servants are the ones that are riding on horses. It's an evil that he sees as he looks. It's not the way it should be in the preacher's eyes. Everything's turned on its head. Now he comes to talk about wisdom in our daily lives. He says... He who digs a pit will fall into it. This is practical. (laughs) If you're going to do work, you need to use safety precautions. (laughs) If you're going to dig a pit, there is a danger that you might fall into it. This is the OSHA verse. (laughs) You you know OSHA, the Occupational Safety, and I can't remember exactly what what it stands for. But, um, huh? Health administration, yeah. Um, this is very practical. If you dig a pit, 
There's a danger. You could fall into it. So be careful and use wisdom when you're doing so. Again, a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. So in the ancient world, uh, around their fields, they may have fences that were stone fences. And sometimes you had to move those fences around so you would tear it down and rebuild it up in, in another place. And in the process of doing so, there may be a snake in there. So if you're doing that work of tearing down the fence... This stone fence, you might reach your hand in and accidentally get bitten by a snake. So use wisdom in our daily lives as we do our daily tasks. Um, he who queries stones is hurt by them. You know, I worked at UPS for a little over a year when I was at uh, Southern Seminary, and then again uh, whenever I was down at Southwestern Fort Worth, and my back just hurt a lot from that. All those lifting up boxes and loading them up. Uh, so I can imagine that's probably the closest kind of work I've had to querying stones. And if you're not careful with your back, if you're not lifting with your knees instead of lifting with your back and things like that, you can get hurt. This verse points to that same principle. In our daily lives, we need to use wisdom. If you're querying stones, there's a danger that, that you might lift it wrong and hurt yourself. With the same. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. Anybody split logs before? <laughs> and there, there's a danger. You know, the axe head might slip off or you might miss and hit your foot or something like that. There's a danger. It, it endangers you. So use wisdom in those Daily walk endeavors is what the preacher is talking about here. Then, he says, if an iron is blunt and one doesn't sharpen its edge, he must use more strength. That's just common sense wisdom, isn't it? You're going to be able to cut through that tree faster with a sharp blade. Or even today, if you you have a, a, a circular saw, you're going to be able to get through that board faster with a sharp blade than if you have a dull blade. Right, Dad? <laughs> and here he's saying, use wisdom. In the big things, like kings and nations, and in small things, like your daily tasks, use wisdom. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. We don't really have snake charmers here in the United States. I've been to India before on a mission trip, and there there were snake charmers. And very much like what you may have seen on television or something, um, there's an interesting story about them. Um, Sometimes if a tourist takes their picture of a snake charmer, um, you got to get permission and haggle down the price first before you take their picture. Because if you don't haggle down that price, then they're going to want a certain amount <laughs> after you take their picture, or they're going to stick that snake on you, or they'll threaten it. <laughs> they'll threaten it. Okay. <laughs> um, snake charmers actually exist. I mean, that's a real profession that people do in places like India and those other parts of the world. Um, 
But if you just reach in and grab that snake before you charm it, it's going to bite you. So use wisdom. Take the precautions first before you reach your hand in and get it. It's the, what, what he's communicating here. The word, so those are areas of, of our daily walk. We've looked at the political arena. We've looked at our daily walk. And then he begins to talk about our communication, our daily talk. He says, The words of a wise man, when man's mouth, wins him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. A wise man will know how to talk. He'll, he'll be good with people. We should use wisdom in the way we talk with people. This is what he's commending. But a fool, his words, his lips consume him. It's interesting, it says his lips consume him. What do we think of when we consume something? We eat. We're eating. His own lips consume him. His own lips are what devour him. Because he's foolish with his words. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? A fool, it says here, it multiplies words, and then it starts talking about how the fool doesn't know what comes after him. You can maybe think of a fool who is braggadocious and says to the person he's working with about the ruler, about his boss, well, one of these days, it's not going to be that way. One of these days, they'll see. One of these days, I'll be the boss. And then we'll see what happens. That's foolish talk. And here, he says, he doesn't know what the future holds. He doesn't know what's going to happen. No one can. But there's one who knows the future. And of course, Josh, you know who knows the future? God. God. God knows the future. That is one of the things that we've seen through Ecclesiastes consistently. God is the one. Man doesn't know his time. Man doesn't know when we will die, when we will face our Maker, our Creator. Our times are in His hands, and He is the one who knows. He's the one who raises up kings, establishes kings, and brings them down. And our prosperity is in His hands. Just like Joseph, who the Lord was with him and he prospered. And the Lord was with them even whenever he went into prison. He returns then, after he talks here about our words, he returns for a moment and speaks of the political arena again. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. By child here, um, the word there is the word for young man. Uh, I think the idea here is not so much of being a, a young person, but it's in, it's inexperience. 
And in fact, when Solomon himself, he became king and he asked the Lord for wisdom, he said, I am but a child and I need wisdom. Uh, so, uh, by saying here, when, when the king is a child, it's inexperience and foolishness. Woe to you, O land. When you don't want an inexperienced ruler. You don't want someone who doesn't know how to manage things as your king, as your politician, as your representative. You want someone who's wise. Someone who's seasoned. And your princes feast in the morning. Those lower uh, rulers, they're just partying all the time. It's just a constant party. They feast in the morning. We think sometimes about what goes on in Washington. And yeah, they, they meet there in, in, uh, in Congress in session. And they debate things on the floor. But so often maybe we also think of fundraisers and parties and alcohol flowing and all of those things. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. He's inexperienced. He's foolish. And your princes just party all the time. They feast in the morning. In contrast, he says, Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. He's experienced, seasoned, educated, and knows how to lead. And your princes feast at the proper time. Not just partying all the time and letting the liquor run. But they feast at the proper time. They get business done first. And then they celebrate. For strength and not for drunkenness. They feast for nourishment, for strength, and not for drunkenness. Not to lose their minds. An example of what this poor leadership can lead to, it says, through sloth, the roof sinks in. It's like a house. In the ancient world, the houses were made with flat roofs. You didn't have the peaks like we do in our houses today. Made with flat roofs and they needed constant maintenance. As the rain beat down on them, uh, they may have erosion um, cutting through and you constantly had to add, uh, it said they were made of lime, you had to add things and continue to work to maintain that roof or it was going to sag in. Um, sloth would lead to that house just falling down and crumbling. It needed constant maintenance. Um, and the fool will neglect that. The fool will neglect that. And through indolence, the house leaks, he says. Now here's a difficult verse, verse 19. Bread is made for laughing, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. I puzzled with that over that for a little while. There's a couple of ways we can take that. I think the best way I understand it is that's put in the words of the fools, those foolish princes. You had verse 16, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes are feast in the morning. And just imagine those, fe- those princes feasting in the morning, and this is what they say. Bread is made for laughter. And wine gladdens life. 
And money, it answers every problem. Just throw money at it. That answers our problems. And finally, he returns to our speech. He talked about our speech before, about a multitude of words, not bragging about what the future holds. Here in the final part, he says, even in your thoughts, don't curse the king. Even in your bedroom, don't curse the rich. probably can be kind of convicting, especially whenever we have a political situation where we're not happy with the rulers. We're not happy with those elected officials. And so often we can be tempted to curse the king. We can be tempted to speak out in ways that are ungodly. What does Paul say to do for our leaders? Pray for them. Even Paul, who was you know, imprisoned under under Roman rulers that were pagans. He said, submit to governing authorities. It can be a real temptation for us. But he warns us here, even in your thoughts, in the thoughts of your mind, not even just out loud, but in the thoughts of your mind, don't curse the king. And in your bedroom, even when you're in your bedroom, in your private place where nobody is going to hear you, he says, don't curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice. You've heard that expression, a little bird told me. This is where it comes from. A little bird told me. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. You never know how word carries. Someone might tell someone else and the word gets back around or someone who you didn't want them to know what you were saying. And in the age that we live in today, we sometimes think when we put something out online, oh, nobody's going to see that. I'm just a little guy. Nobody's going to care about what I say. And yet, how often our foolish words come back and bite us. And so many people famous and their words from years and years ago are dug up and you have controversy all over again because of what maybe they said 10, 20 years ago. So, in summary, you can imagine... When I read, this is possibly the, the, the most difficult passage in all of Ecclesiastes. Um, I agree with that. <laughs> There's been some doozies here. This has been a tough one. What do we get from it? We need to use wisdom in the big things, in those political situations. We need to use wisdoms in our daily life. And we need to use wisdom in our talk in the way we use our words, in the way we, things we say to one another, and even in the things that we think. We need to use wisdom. We need to be like what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. Be not unwise, but be wise. And he followed that up, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's another theme that Ecclesiastes keeps picking up on. Our time. Our time is in his hands. And 
the last chapter, chapter 9, the earlier part of chapter 9, talks so much about the uncertainty of when our death is coming. We know that it's coming, but it's unpredictable about when it's coming. So we need to be wise and not unwise. We need to redeem the time while we still have it. Enjoy our lives, like the preacher said in the previous passage. Look to Jesus. Look to Him while there's still time. And be wise. Jesus sent out His disciples, and one of the things He told them was, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. As we go out into the world, we need to have wisdom. In our evangelism, in our conversation, the world is hostile to Jesus. And it will be hostile to us. And so as we go out into the world, we need to use wisdom in all of those areas. When it comes to national politics, when it comes to our own lives, and when it comes to our speech. We need to use wisdom as disciples of Jesus. Because so much is at stake. Even just a little bit of folly can ruin everything. He said, dead flies make the perfumer's oil stink. And when we are doing our evangelism with people, we want to be wise when we speak to them. We want to be wise and we want to be gracious. But just one bit of foolishness can turn someone away. Now, if if God is working on a person's heart, He can do anything. We don't want to be that stumbling block because of our foolishness. Because we say something that drives them away. So we'll use wisdom. Be not unwise, but be wise. And let's redeem the time while we still have it. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.